live, and how could I possibly have set up a more appropriate title than Jan 6 Indictment, Mike Pence is a damn traitor, because, man, we're going to talk about this Jan 6 Indictment, and uh, I feel so vindicated, because, like we talked about last Friday, I have a far-reaching conspiracy theory that Mike Pence, the turncoat traitor that he is, is going to testify against Donald Trump. Now, I know how crazy that sounds, but uh, I read the indictment this morning, and it is very clear that this indictment appears to center very, very much around Mike Pence um, and this whole aspect of the 2020 election where you know there was the dueling slate of electors and the plan for Mike Pence to reject the certification of the Joe Biden electors and instead either certify the Trump slate of electors or kick it back to the individual states to sort it out and potentially, um, you know, uh, declare that the election was stolen from Donald Trump and then, uh, I guess, reconvene and certify the election for Donald Trump, right? This indictment seems to center so much around Mike Pence that I think it's it's not that out... It's within the cards of possibilities that Mike Pence will testify against Donald Trump. All right, and we have some shocking Twitter posts from Mike Pence indicating how he feels about this indictment. And if you haven't seen it yet, and you still think Mike Pence is a white hat, I truly think it's going to blow your mind. But we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the incredible coincidence. I mean, Jack Smith won the freaking Powerball with this one. Uh, this judge that was assigned to the case just so happens to be an Obama-appointed, TDS-having uh, psychopath who's been referred to as the toughest punisher of Jan 6 rioters. I mean, this chick has issued uh, harsher sentences than the weaponized Biden Justice Department has recommended. <laughs> I mean, putting people behind bars that even the Biden Justice Department didn't think deserved jail time, okay? And you can imagine, this chick, this psychopath, is obviously foaming at the mouth at the, the, the possibility of being the one to put Donald Trump behind bars. What's up, Roy? I see out there in the chat, and hopefully the notifications go out soon. Okay. I'm actually pretty worried because I saw Behizzy did a live stream last night, and for some reason in the middle of it, in the middle of it, it just kept looping like the same 10 seconds, and then he had to just shut down the live stream, and that was the second time it happened this week. Now, I haven't been live in the past couple of days, but I'm worried about damn Rumble screwing up. So it's good to see you guys out there in the chat letting me know you're out there and that everything is working okay. And we'll just have to hope that this show runs smoothly. So we're going to cover all this. We're going to talk about it all. But first, a message from the sponsor of this show, Goldco. With the war in Ukraine, inflation being out of control, and the country being $30 trillion in debt, it's starting to look like 2008 all over again. Millions of Americans watched their retirement savings disappear, while those who invested in physical gold and silver were protected. And if you have $50,000 or more in your IRA, 401k, or savings, you could be at risk again. Right now, thousands of Americans are using an IRS loophole to add physical gold and silver to their retirement savings. Visit NickLovesGold.com now to get a free gold IRA kit and learn how thousands are protected protecting their retirement savings with gold and silver. Protect your savings and you could get up to $10,000 in free silver to do it. Gold Co. has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of customer reviews, and they've helped place over $1 billion in precious metals. We could be looking at a recession worse than 2008, so don't wait. Visit NickLovesGold.com. That's NickLovesGold.com. Okay, so the indictment dropped last night, right? And we all knew it was coming. And we all knew the day that it was going to come. Because as everybody predicted, I mean, it didn't take Ray Charles to figure this one out. They were going to drop the indictment the day after Devin Archer's testimony, right? It, it, this always seems to happen. Uh, I believe after the SARS reports, the bombshell revelations of the House Oversight Committee, they released the damning revelations uh, that the Biden crime family was receiving bribes from Romania, Ukraine, you know, you name it, that they, they, they discovered from the suspicious activity reports, it was a matter of days before the Mar-a-Lago uh, classified document indictment dropped, right? <laughs> and I believe that this has just happened every single time. 
There was a bombshell revelation before the Alvin Bragg indictment. There was a bombshell revelation before the Mar-a-Lago raid itself. And it just, it just can, coincidentally always happens every time the Biden crime family gets exposed. And it's just amazing that we've all gotten so good at this. We're able to see the writing on, on the wall a week in advance. We knew Devin Archer was scheduled to testify. And we knew that he was going to tell the uh, House Oversight Committee that uh, Hunter Biden put his father on speakerphone at least two dozen times during business meetings with Burisma to, uh, quote, promote the brand. Or, you know, as the New York Times says, create the illusion of influence over his father. When in reality, you know, that, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because even if, let's, like I said on, on uh, Telegram, even if what the New York Times said was true, that Hunter Biden was just calling his daddy during these business meetings to have his daddy say hello to everybody at dinner, that in and of itself is still influence peddling. Because think about it. Let's say that you are a potential partner, a potential investor, um, you know, somebody that wants to do business with Burisma, but you're on the fence. You're not sure whether or not this is going to be a financially beneficial decision for you. And then, uh, you know, halfway through the meeting, Hunter Biden calls up his daddy, who's the vice president of the most powerful nation in the United States, and uh, just flaunts to everybody that he has direct access to his father. Okay, well, there doesn't have to be any business discussion there. <laughs> he doesn't have to say, hey, daddy, um, can you fire the prosecutor? You know, it doesn't have to go down like that. All he has to do is call him. His daddy says hello. And then the potential partner gets the, the, the messages received that, okay, they have somebody on the board of their company who has direct access to the vice president of the United States. And so, yeah, I think I want to do business with Burisma. And so Burisma profits, and uh, Hunter Biden profits, and Joe Biden profits by extension. That is influence peddling. And this was revealed from Devin Archer, who was also on the board of Burisma. And, uh, you know, <laughs> this, is a bomb this is the most bombshell revelation you can possibly imagine. And, of course, the very next day, an indictment comes out. We all knew that it was coming. And now everybody's focused on Donald Trump in January 6th. Just like that. In a matter of 24 hours, the story just dissipates into thin air. And uh, we, we, we just know exactly how the game is played. We're getting very smart at this. But, um, so, we, we've, I, I, I kind of debated with myself on how to structure this show. Because last week, you know, we did a show... And I was prepared for the <laughs> indictment to drop on Thursday. And I was ready to, you know, attack Jack Smith's charges against Donald Trump and, and debunk it. So we did an entire show last week talking about the charges because we, we already knew what the charges were going to be based on the target letter and the referrals from uh, the January 6th Select Committee, right? <laughs> and I, another thing I think is kind of funny is that basically Jack Smith, with this indictment, all that he did was copy-paste the referrals and the evidence from the Jan 6 committee into an indictment and hit submit. <laughs> That's all that he did. What has this guy been doing for the past nine months or eight months, whatever it is? What has he been doing? Sitting around with his thumbs in his ass, you know, uh, doing absolutely nothing. He didn't investigate anything. He didn't uncover anything that hadn't been already revealed, so uh, so to speak, by the Jan 6 committee. All he did was wait eight months, hit copy, paste, and submit. That's all that he did. And as uh, it, it's been pointed out, there's a reason why that occurred. And it's because Jack Smith wanted to conveniently time this to inflict maximum dam damage on the Trump 2024 campaign. Because that's all that this is about. 100% about interfering with the 2024 election. That's all that this is. All right? And uh, so I don't think I want to talk about the specific charges as much uh, because we, we kind of did that last week. But I do want to point out, as I uh, alluded to in the beginning of the show, that I feel sort of vindicated in making this crazy prediction that, that Mike Pence could potentially testify against Donald Trump. Because... 
if you read the indictment, and we're, we are going to pull it up, and we're going we're gonna to talk about a specific part of it, it starts to become pretty clear that there is a real central focus on uh, how Donald Trump attempted to coerce Mike Pence into rejecting the Electoral College votes on January 6th. And we know there's a, there's a charge, deprivation of rights, right? And I saw that charge, and I wasn't sure where Jack Smith was going to go with it, but now it's become abundantly clear that he is going to try to say that Donald Trump, through uh, coercion, threats, intimidation, whatever, attempted to co- uh, prevent Mike Pence from exercising his constitutional duty to certify the election, right? And so uh, before we pull up the indictment, I, you know, so you can see the portion that I'm talking about, I want you guys to see this post from Mike Pence so that you can understand why I think there's a real potential for Pence to actually testify against Donald Trump so that you can see I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. Um, so let's pull up the tweet. So here's Mike Pence, and this, this came immediately following the indictment last night at 8 p.m. He says, Today's indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be President of the United States. I will have more to say about the government's case after reviewing the indictment. The former president is entitled to the presumption of innocence, but with this indictment, his candidacy means more talk about January 6th and more distractions. As Americans, his candidacy means less attention paid to Joe Biden's disastrous economic policies afflicting millions across the United States and to the pattern of corruption with Hunter. So it's so laughable. Before we read this uh, last tweet, which is the most important one, it's so laughable that Mike Pence really thinks in his delusional pea brain that coming out in uh, opposition to Donald Trump and saying that this indictment, uh, sort of an endorsement of the indictment against the former president, he thinks this is an opportunity to promote his 2024 campaign. This guy's an idiot, man. Oh, my God. I want to say that he's a corrupt, uh, deranged criminal, but he just appears to be so delusional that it may just be complete and total ignorance. How stupid can you be? How delusional can you be to think that anybody would vote for you after you betrayed the country and sold us out to a bunch of communists because you're a coward, cowardly little pussy, you know, and a P.O.S., which is evidenced by the fact that flies land on your head. So it's just absurd to me that he thinks this is a great opportunity to promote <laughs> to promote his 2024 campaign, saying that, you know, Donald Trump, him being indicted again just means that he's going to be uh, distracted with, with, with a bunch of lawsuits and criminal charges. And we need a candidate who's really focused on the issues that really matter, right? Like uh, Biden's economy. And the patterns of corruption with Hunter. Uh, Mike, you know, I I think you're forgetting the fact that the entire reason that Donald Trump is facing 74 indictments and they're trying to lawfare him into the ground and imprison him to stop him from uh, running in 2024 is because he's an actual threat to the deep state. Whereas you are a communist. Well, you're I, I guess you're treasonous, you know, aiding and embedding the enemy, and uh, they're they're not coming after you because you are one of them, plain and simple. Anyways, so let's read this last tweet. Mike Pence says, Our country is more important than one man. Our constitution is more important than any one man's career. On January 6th, former President Trump demanded that I choose between him and the constitution. I chose the constitution And I always will. Wow. So that is very indicative of where Mike Pence stands. Right there, Mike Pence is alleging that Donald Trump tried to convince him to violate the Constitution. Okay, meaning he believes Donald Trump tried to coerce him into choosing himself over the country and the Constitution and tried to stop him from exercising his constitutional duty to certify the election. And this is essentially 
what Jack Smith is using to bring a charge of deprivation of rights against Donald Trump. So uh, we're going to go ahead and pull up the indictment. I want you guys to see this. But first, be sure, as always, to smash that like button. Uh, we got you know a couple hundred people watching and only 13 likes. And uh, those likes really help us over here. I'm not sure how. I don't know how the Rumble uh, platform works, but I imagine clicking that like button helps us in some way. Maybe appearing higher on the uh, front page or whatever. So please click that like button. It really helps us out, I think. So anyways, we're going to read this, and it is a little bit long. But I want you guys to really understand where Jack Smith is going with this. Um, and and, and, and kind of tie this into my little theory here. So this begins on page 32. Uh, the defendant's attempts to enlist the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results as the January 6th certification proceeding. So it sa- it reads, As the January 6th congressional certification proceeding approached and other efforts to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function failed, the defendant sought to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the certification to fraudulently alter the election results. The defendant did this first by using knowingly false claims of election fraud to convince the vice president to accept the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than count them. When that failed, the defendant attempted to use a crowd of supporters that he had gathered in Washington, D.C. to pressure the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results. So right there, that is where you get this uh, notion that Donald Trump used uh, uh, coercion, threats, threats of violence, intimidation to try to get Mike Pence to, uh, to to try to deprive Mike Pence's constitutional right. Um, and I want you guys to understand this this statute, which is U.S. two four one eighteen two four one something like that. U.S. Code Deprivation of Rights. As we've talked about before, it is this uh, post-Civil War era statute that was enacted by Congress um, to prevent the KKK from using terroristic threats or acts of violence to prevent former slaves from casting their vote. And it's typically used in uh, hate crime prosecutions. And it is, uh, basically it reads that uh, you know, using threats of coercion, violence, intimidation to deprive somebody of exercising their constitutional right is in violation of this statute. So here, Jack Smith is making the claim that Donald Trump tried to use his mob of supporters to gather in Washington, D.C. to put the pressure on Vice, Pence, uh, Vice President Pence to fraudulently alter the election results. So we're going to read on. On December 19, 2020, After cultivating widespread anger and resentment for weeks with his knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant urged his supporters to travel to Washington on on the day of the certification proceeding, tweeting, Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. Will be wild. Throughout late December, he repeatedly urged his supporters to come to Washington for January 6th. On December 23, the defendant retweeted a memo titled Operation Pence Card, which falsely asserted that the vice president could, among other things, unilaterally disqualify legitimate electors from six targeted states. On the same day, co-conspirator 2 circulated a two-page memorandum outlining a plan for the vice president to unlawfully declare the defendant the certified winner of the presidential election. In the memorandum, co-conspirator 2 claimed that seven states had transmitted two slates of electors and proposed that vice president uh, announce that because of the ongoing disputes, In the seven states, there are no electors that can be deemed validly appointed in those states. Next, co-conspirator two, which I believe is John Eastman, uh, Trump attorney, proposed steps that he acknowledged violated the ECA, the Electoral College Act, advocating that in the end, quote, Pence then gavels Trump as reelected. Just two months earlier, on October 11th, co-conspirator two, John Eastman, had taken the opposite position writing that neither the Constitution nor the ECA provided the vice president discretion in the counting of electoral votes or permitted him to make the determination on his own. On several private phone calls in in late December and early January, Trump repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud 
and directly pressured, keyword pressured, the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the certification proceeding on January 6th to fraudulently, fraudulently overturn the results of the election. And the vice president resisted, including on December 25th, when uh, Vice President called the defendant to wish him a Merry Christmas, and Trump quickly turned the conversation to January 6th and his request that Vice President Pence reject elect- electoral votes that day. The Vice President pushed back, telling the defendants, uh, as the Vice President already had in previous conversations, quote, You know I don't think I have the authority to change the outcome. On January 1st, the defendant called the Vice President and berated him, because he had learned that the vice president had opposed a lawsuit seeking a judicial decision that at the certification, the vice president had the authority to reject or return votes to the states under the Constitution. The vice president responded that he thought there was no constitutional basis for such authority and that it was improper. All right, I don't want to read for 20 minutes straight, but you kind of get the point. So I'm going to skip a little bit ahead. Um, And we'll get to the more important part. So as you can see... It's just Jack Smith alleging that Donald Trump uh, continually tried to pressure Mike Pence into going along with this plan, despite Mike Pence saying that he didn't think he had the authority to do that. So then um, on January 6th, he set, uh, Trump set the false expectation that uh, Pence had the authority to and might use his ceremonial role at the certification proceeding to reverse the election outcome in the defendant's favor including issuing the following tweets. Uh, The vice president has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors. At 5.05 p.m., Trump said Washington is being inundated with people who don't want to see an election victory stolen. Our country has had enough. They won't take it anymore. We hear you from the Oval Office. So, alleging that Trump set the expectation, you know, after pressuring Mike Pence to go along with this plan, he invited a bunch of his supporters to the Capitol, and he set the expectation that that was what Mike Pence was going to do. Now, when the vice president refused to agree to the defendant's request that he obstruct the certification, the defendant grew frustrated um, and, told, and told Pence that the defendant would have to publicly criticize him. Upon learning of this, the vice president's chief of staff was concerned for the vice president's safety and alerted the head of the vice president's secret service detail. So, uh, you know, uh, Trump was basically like, all right, well, if you're not going to go along with this, I'm going to have to put out a tweet saying that you lack courage, you know, that you don't have the courage to act. And um, so Mike Pence ran to his secret service detail, basically saying that he thought his life was at risk. And then on January 6th, starting in the early morning, The defendant again turned to knowingly false statements aimed at pressuring the vice president to fraudulently alter the election outcome and raise publicly the false expectation that the vice president might do so. At 1 a.m., the defendant issued a tweet that falsely claimed, If Vice President Mike Pence comes through for us, we will win the presidency. Many states want to decertify. The mistake they made in certifying incorrect and even fraudulent numbers in a process not approved by their state legislatures, which it must be, Mike can send it back. Okay, so again, setting the expectation. Um, I feel like I'm boring you guys reading so much, but um, it's important. It's important. But I want to parse through this as much as possible and trim the fat, but it's very difficult to do that. So let's see. Again, setting the expectation, continuing to make false statements, and where is it? Okay, so so after Mike Pence uh, made it clear that he was not going to go along with the plan, right? They say that at 2.13 p.m., after more than an hour of steady violent advancement, the crowd at the Capitol broke into the building. Upon receiving the news that the Capitol uh, had been breached, advisors told Trump that there was a riot in the building. They urged Trump to issue a calming message aimed at the rioters. The defendant refused, instead repeatedly remarking that the people at the Capitol were angry because the election had been stolen. Um, At 2.24, Trump said, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones, 
which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. So they're trying to they're trying to uh, make the case here that basically Trump set the expectation. He invited everybody there. He, he told him what Mike Pence was going to do, despite the fact that privately Mike Pence had told Trump repeatedly that he didn't think he had the authority to do that. And when Mike Pence uh, decided not to do the deed, you know, uh, Trump, then he put out a tweet after they had already breached the Capitol saying Mike Pence didn't have the courage. Okay, and at that point, the Secret Service was forced to evacuate Pence to a secure location, and people were at the Capitol chanting, Hang Mike Pence. Where is Pence? Bring him out. Traitor Pence. Okay, so you get it, right? You get the point. You understand why I'm saying what I'm saying and why I'm making this claim. Because this is all based on the cooperation and communication between Mike Pence and Jack Smith's special counsel uh, counsel's office. You know, we know that Mike Pence, at first he tried to claim executive privilege uh, with the Jan 6 committee, and uh, I believe so with, with Jack Smith as well, but eventually, you know, he, he went in for a deposition, an interview, and clearly provided them with quite a bit of information. And on top of that, has publicly stated that he felt like Donald Trump put his life at risk that day. Even wrote a book about it, bashing Donald Trump and saying that he put his life at risk. So when you see this charge, deprivation of rights, from Jack Smith, I believe what ha- what took place is that uh, you know they brought Mike Pence in for an interview, learned very quickly that he was willing to cooperate and make the claim that Donald Trump tried to stop him from certifying the election us- using uh, threats of violence. And they said, oh, you know, they got that light bulb over their head. They said, oh, wow, okay. So the vice president is willing to betray the former president Boy, that's going to make a blockbuster special there. That's going to definitely sway a grand jury. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be the story of the century. And they all, you know, their buttholes all pucker up. And they, they get excited at the prospect. And uh, so I think that that it's pretty clear why we're seeing this charge being list, uh, listed in the indictment. And, and you know what's interesting? Uh, what's interesting is that Jack Smith decided not With the to... the war pers- in Ukraine inflate... My bad. I did it again. Switch scenes and my ad plays again. My bad. But I think it's very interesting that, um, you know, essentially what what, what Jack Smith is bringing, three charges, uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, which all centers around the notion that Donald Trump perpetuated the big lie, claiming the election was stolen despite knowing that it wasn't stolen, right? And then he sent the alternate slate of electors, attempted to... Uh, uh, so conspiracy to defraud the United States, uh, obstruct an official proceeding, right? The alternate slate of electors centers around the obstruction of an official proceeding charge, right? And then, um, the deprivation of rights centers around what occurred on January 6th and leading up to it. But what I don't see is a charge of insurrection or seditious conspiracy, Right, and, and Jack Smith also didn't bring the charge that was recommended by the Jan 6 committee of uh, tampering with a witness. And I think it's pretty obvious why Jack Smith decided to pursue these three charges and not seditious conspiracy, not uh, insurrection, and not tampering with the witness. And it's because Jack Smith, all he cares about is finding a damn conviction bef- before a D.C. grand jury. And coincidentally, these charges just so happen to be the very charges that have been brought against numerous Jan 6 defendants, uh, protesters, that have been tried and convicted on these charges. So Jack Smith thinks that there's a likelihood of finding a conviction against Donald Trump uh, based on these charges that have already been brought against the Jan 6 defendants. And he's making no secret about it. He's not hiding the fact that that's his intention. He says in this tweet... Uh, it is an indict at the very end. It is an indictment meticulously crafted for one purpose, a conviction. Okay. So we're not bringing charges of insurrection or seditious conspiracy because there's no way, there's no way that, that, that they would find a conviction on that. Uh, because well, for one, Donald Trump said, uh, peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. 
He said respect law enforcement. He told people to go home, uh, remain peaceful, and that would also present the opportunity for Trump to bring up the fact that you know he authorized the National Guard. He alerted the potential of thing, uh, for things to get out of hand and put the ball in Nancy Pelosi's court to send in the National Guard to protect the Capitol, and she refused to do that. It would also open up the door for the Jan 6 um, uh, footage to be brought before the grand jury to show that the Capitol was actually breached long before Trump even finished his speech, and a lot of those people that breached the Capitol were Antifa and BLM, and they were being, you know, the the rest of the people were actually being uh, coerced into the Capitol by FBI informants and confidential human sources that had infiltrated various groups, and they don't want any parts of that. You know, they know that's going to fail. So instead, he's using these broad, far-reaching uh, charges that have already been successfully tried against Jan 6 protesters. Bones Mom in the chat says, hey, 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 it's Nikki. Only my mom calls me Nikki, Bones Mama. Come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't like being called Nikki. E- even though my dumb ass made my Twitter handle at the Nikki Mo. You know, that's uh, I- I'm a walking contradiction. I don't like being called Nikki, but I made my Twitter handle at the Nikki Mo. Citizen Lens in the chat. Citizen Lens is here. What's up, brother? Follow Citizen Lens on Twitter, by the way. Uh, he puts out lots, lots of good stuff. But anyways, um, so I'm just kind of winging it with this show, by the way. Got a couple of, uh, I got a little bit of a structure here, but, <laughs> but I just read some comments and now I'm like, all right, where are we at? Where are we at here? Oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> here we are. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. The fact that Jack Smith freaking won the lottery here with getting this case assigned to a complete Democrat operative uh, psychopath, Obama-appointed toughest punisher of Jan 6 rioters, right? So D.C. judge, who will oversee Trump's criminal cases, toughest punisher of Jan 6 rioters, and worked for a law firm associated with Hunter Biden. You can't make this stuff up. And I've seen already, you know, people pointing this out, and then the Brian Krasensteins and the Ed Krasensteins, you know, the the Biden paid shills on Twitter, they bring up the fact that, well, the Mar-a-Lago case was assigned to Judge Eileen Cannon. So if you want to say that these judges are being selected in a partisan manner, well, how do you explain Judge Eileen Cannon? Bitch, that's how they do this, you know? They give you a mulligan, and then they turn around and assign the other case to some Obama-appointed psychopath so that when you say, hey, this ain't right, she should recuse herself, they'll say, well, well, what, what about Judge Eileen Cannon, you know? And, you know, when you ask her to recuse herself, then they'll be like, well, Judge Eileen Cannon didn't recuse herself. That's how this works. Oh, now Roy's calling me Nikki. See, I gave you guys am- ammunition. I told you I don't like being called Nikki. And now it's going to become a thing. Um, so, anyways, this judge, let's talk about her. So, in a profile by the Associated Press written last year, they said, Chutkan, is that really her name, Chutkan? Chutkin has handed out tougher sentences than the Justice Department was seeking in seven cases, matched its request in four others, and sent all 11 riot defendants who have come before her behind bars. So so think about it, right? The DOJ recommends uh, certain charges, and this, I, I mean, not charges, but um, sentencing, uh, and this judge is like, nah, yeah, I, the... No, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send these bastards to jail because they're uh, Trump supporters, and I hate them. So this is the judge that got assigned the Jan 6 case. The, 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 this is crazy, man. This is crazy. And, 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 and she apparently worked at a law firm associated with Hunter Biden. So the AP article continued that Chutkin jailed despite prosecutors not asking for it, an Ohio couple who climbed through a broken window of the U.S. Capitol. Uh, the 61-year-old was nominated by former President Barack Obama. Chutkin had worked at the law firm Boyas, Schiller, Flexner, 
from 2002 until she was confirmed by a federal judge in 2014. Boy Schiller has strong connections to the Democratic Party and then second son, Hunter Biden, whose dad, President Biden, is likely to face Trump in the 2024 election, was of counsel at the firm from 2009 to 2014. Man, so this is insane. This case is being tried in Washington, D.C., where 96% of voters are Democrats. And not just Democrats. I'm talking Trump derangement syndrome to the fullest. Right? And we're supposed to get a a non-biased jury pool in Washington, D.C. That ain't going to happen. And on top of it, you've got this judge presiding over the case. The circumstances could not be worse for Donald Trump. Right? And and I, I put out a post on Telegram last night. There was a, there's been a lot of people that have been saying, you know, if, if Jack Smith wants to play this game, let's go, baby. Because if you're going to accuse Trump of knowingly perpetuating false claims of election fraud, well, you're putting the ball in his court to basically prove to the American people once and for all that the election was, in fact, stolen. And this presents an opportunity for Trump to submit evidence legally in, in an, an actual court of law. But the thing is, as we've seen in many of these cases... Um, the judge actually uh, typically, uh, gets to decide the scope of discovery items. And there, there's a lot of potential for this judge to, to kind of game, stack the cards against Trump and not really provide him with that opportunity. But there is the, there is still the possibility. Um, because as I was reading this indictment, some of the accusations against Trump, really, really put a lot, a lot of opportunity on his plate to hit a home run with this one. Um, And I actually highlighted some of that stuff as well. So, for instance, um, Jack Smith is is claiming that Donald Trump falsely insinuated that more than 10,000 dead voters had voted in Georgia uh, when just four days earlier, Georgia's Secretary of State had explained to the defendant that this is false. And this is a recurring theme, right? So, so Jack Smith, he's claiming that Trump perpetuated the big lie, you know, uh, false claims of voter fraud. And, and what he's basing the notion that Trump is continually perpetuating these claims despite knowing they're false is the fact that people like Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger told him that they were false. That Gabriel Sterling, you know, he told Donald Trump that the footage of Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss staying behind in the Atlanta Count Center after everybody was sent home, pulling ballots out from a skirted table and running them through Dominion machines multiple times, that was just part of the normal ballot procedure. Right? So Jack Smith is building a case that Trump perpetuated the big lie knowing these claims were false on the basis that people like Brad Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling and Chris Krebs, the head of the Cyber Infrastructure Security Agency, saying that this was the most secure election in American history. That's his evidence that Trump knew these claims were false. And that is absolutely going to fall apart. There's absolutely no way that that's going to hold up. No way. Okay? Because, I mean, basically... um. How are you going to prove that just because Brad Raffensperger said it, that Trump believed it, right? Because here's the thing. Donald Trump, he's protected by the First Amendment, right? He has the First Amendment right to claim that the election was stolen. And let's take it a step further. Not only does he have the right to claim the election was stolen, he actually has the right under the Constitution to falsely claim that the election was stolen. He has the right to put out fake numbers and and falsely claim the election was stolen. That's still protected by the First Amendment. And all Trump has to do, all Trump has to do is say that despite Brad Raffensperger's assertion that these numbers were false and Gabriel Sterling, I still believed that they were true. Because I had independent experts and attorneys advising me. I you know, I had I had reports from independent uh, investigators and uh, election integrity experts that continued to tell me 
that these numbers were correct. And even if everybody told him that the numbers were false, Donald Trump still could could make the argument that, well, I believed it. There's, it's just so crazy, man. This is one of the most blatant attempts to violate the First Amendment in American history. Jack Smith is trying to charge Trump with exercising his right to question an election result, right? And as Rudy Giuliani pointed out on Newsmax yesterday, the irony here that one of the charges Jack Smith is bringing, the one we just talked about, 18241 U.S. Code uh, deprivation of rights, accusing Trump of trying to deprive people of their ability to exercise their constitutional rights. Jack Smith himself is violating that statute by bringing this case against Donald Trump. Because effectively what he's trying to do is use lawfare, coercion tactics, a weaponized Justice Department to prevent Trump from exercising his own right to question the results of an election and using intimidation tactics uh, for people like me who see, uh, you know, I see uh, 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 Donald Trump being indicted. I see Matt DiPerno being indicted. I see all these people being indicted for simply questioning the election and pursuing the evidence and trying to do something about the fraud that occurred in the 2020 election. So I'm not going to allow that to sway me, but this is an, an attempt from these people, the DOJ, to try to intimidate us and uh, intimidate uh, you know, attorneys from representing people in the future. I mean, think about the 2024 election. What attorney... What All these self-serving attorneys that care about their reputation and their bar license, right? They are, they are going to be scared shitless from bringing an election fraud case because they've, they've watched for the past four years people be sanctioned for bringing these cases, lose their bar license, be indicted, uh, you know, face criminal charges, be jailed. So if anybody is conspiring to deprive anybody of rights here, it's the Biden Justice Department, plain and simple. And I think that that's a good segue for us to talk about this Just the News article. Because um, John Solomon, Just the News, put out a great article, which really helps us give, get an understanding of the potential uh, defense that Trump could take in an effort to combat this Jan 6 indictment. So this article is titled, Potential Trump Defenses Take Shape After Second Federal Indictment. And uh, so we're going to read that. Again, be sure to smash that like button, ladies and gentlemen. So he says, Now with the exact nature of the charges revealed, Trump's potential legal defense also appears to be coming into clearer view. The four-count indictment charges Trump with conspiracy to defraud, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, Obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. While the indictment acknowledges his right to make such claims, it also describes a vast conspiracy by which Trump pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. So here we get into the potential defense from uh, Donald Trump and his legal team. First and foremost, as we just talked about, free speech and the First Amendment. Uh, despite acknowledging Trump's right to challenge the election results and to make allegedly false claims of election fraud, the indictment makes it clear that such claims and statements advancing them were the vehicle by which Trump and his co-conspirators allegedly sought to advance the criminal conspiracies for which they directly face charges. Um, and Jonathan Turley on Fox News uh, yesterday characterized these charges as a, quote, disinformation indictment and Jonathan Turley goes on to say there's less than meets the eye in this indictment he said I thought the last indictment indictment was a very serious threat for Donald Trump when I take a red pen through the through material that is protected by the First Amendment it reduces much of this to a haiku many of the things that the prosecutor is charging here are protected speech he also said the most jarring thing about this indictment is that it basically just accuses him of disinformation right and we just talked about that uh, uh, effectively they're trying to say that donald trump uh, perpetuated these numbers 
that were false and that this is it's kind of it's kind of crazy right because the indictment acknowledges in the very first few paragraphs that Donald Trump does have uh, a first amendment right that a lot of what he said was uh, protected speech but here's why he's being charged because he used those false claims to try to uh, enact a, a gigantic scheme to overturn the election right he used those claims to try to convince Brad Raffensperger to give him 12,000 votes, which we know is a bunch of BS, but that's what he's saying. He used those claims to try to send, uh, to, to convince, you know, Ronna McDaniel to recruit a bunch of alternate electors to go to the Capitol. He used those claims to try to pressure Mike Pence into rejecting the certification of the 2020 election. So that's how uh, Jack Smith is trying to get around Donald Trump's First Amendment right. Um, so, so it, it was a conspiracy to defraud the United States, right? It, it's not a crime for him to claim these things, but he claimed these things in an effort to overthrow the government, basically. But what Jonathan Turley is pointing out here, um, and he's a, a university law professor, one of the most brilliant legal minds, and by the way, not uh, a conservative whatsoever. He says that, you know, this 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 all falls apart that that doesn't hold up to scrutiny because regardless of how you try to spin it still everything that he said was protected under the first amendment you can't just try to craft this legal theory this far-reaching legal theory to make trump's speech illegal you can't do that it doesn't work like that so donald trump has a strong argument uh utilizing the fact that his speech was protected by the first amendment the next uh, potential legal defense is presidential immunity. So on the same day the indictment dropped, Trump notched a legal win in Pennsylvania when Philadelphia County Court of Common Pleas Judge Michael uh, Erdos determined that certain comments Trump made while in office that cast doubt on the election results fell under the scope of his presidential immunity. Election worker James Savage had alleged Trump and some of his allies conspired to defame him by falsely claiming he altered the election results. Now, if you don't remember this story, it's actually a pretty hilarious one. So if you remember, Jim Allen and James Savage in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, these are the two guys that are seen on video. We have video evidence, and this was a big sting operation in Delaware County, where they knew the election was stolen, so they meticulously crafted a right-to-know request for certain evidence... Right, They submit it to the county election officials, and they knew, they knew that these people were going to obstruct and destroy the evidence. So they had an undercover, I don't know what you want to call them, they had somebody with a, a body cam attached to them in the warehouse with either James Allen or Jim Savage or both. And they were discussing how we need to destroy the, the pad and the second scanners. And we need to have a little campfire with the, uh, I believe, the poll tapes and destroy all the evidence that they submit a right to no request for. <laughs> right? They they had all, the, they, they caught this all on video. And why this is so funny is before this video came out, uh, James Allen, or James Savage, I rather, filed a defamation lawsuit against Donald Trump <laughs> for <laughs> uh, conspiring with this allies to rig the election right so so think about it trump says james allen or james savage and jim allen they rigged the election right and uh james savage files a defamation lawsuit against trump and then after the lawsuit is filed all this video comes out of james savage behind the scenes trying to destroy evidence of election fraud i mean that was poetic, but of course, that that evidence was submitted in a lawsuit in Delaware County with Ruth Moton and uh, Leah Hoops and several other defendants, and it was dismissed for lack of standing. But regardless, um, Trump just got a win as a judge in that defamation lawsuit ruled that Trump was protected by presidential immunity with the things that he said about James Savage. Okay, so there... Donald Trump has a court decision that he can use as part of his defense, 
Now, the next uh, line of defense for Donald Trump is difference of legal opinion. One of the key elements of Smith's indictments is Trump's effort to convince then Mike, uh, Vice President Mike Pence to halt Congress' electoral certification process and kick the disputed contest back to the state legislatures. Pence repeatedly insisted that he had no such authority, as did legal scholars and officials. So here, difference of legal opinion. Uh, Mike Pence claims that he did not have the authority to kick back the Electoral College votes to the states. But in, in contrast, there was many constitutional experts and legal scholars that claimed that Mike Pence did have this authority. So for Jack Smith to sit there and say that Donald Trump continually pressured Mike Pence into rejecting the certification of the election despite the fact that legal experts said that he did not have this authority, well, that's a matter of difference of legal opinion. Because Trump can easily cite the opinion of numerous constitutional experts who said Mike Pence did have that authority. So what Mike Pence did was sit on the fence and listen to two sides of the coin and decide to go with the the people that were saying he didn't have that authority. But it doesn't mean that there weren't people on the other side of the aisle saying that he did. Okay, so Trump could easily, easily destroy this argument uh, with difference of legal opinion. A lot of this indictment falls under difference of legal opinion. And a a lot of this, um, a lot of the portions of the indictment which claim, you know, Donald Trump claimed this number of dead voters voted in Georgia uh, despite the fact that Brad Raffensperger said that was false... Well, that's also a difference of opinion because we know those numbers didn't come from nowhere. There were obviously independent experts and investigators that determined there was 10,000 dead voters in Georgia. So, uh, again, a lot of this just dies uh, when when you consider the fact that Trump has a First Amendment right. He was being advised by numerous attorneys. He was receiving information on what to do about the fraud uh, from constitutional and legal experts, and he was just following the advice of those people. And here's the final... Oh, no, no, no. There's two more. Um, Another defense for Trump is Trump believed his own claims. As uh, it's pointed out, you know, good luck proving that Trump knew he lost the election when, whether behind closed doors or in public whether with one person or massive crowds, has consistently maintained that he won with an apparent passionate sincerity. So another thing I've seen lately, especially from the DeSantis uh, shills, there's a lot of DeSantis shills coming out and saying that Trump knew the election was not stolen because Jason Miller said that uh, you know uh, Trump's inner circle did not believe the election was stolen. Right? They're using this as evidence to try to accuse Trump of lying. They also used the, uh, the evidence that Attorney General Bill Barr claimed that there was no election fraud. And even that Mike Pence said to Donald Trump that there was no substantial evidence of outcome determinative fraud. All these people around Trump were saying, you know, there, there's no merit to any of this stuff. The election wasn't stolen. But... No matter how many of Trump allies, Trump supporters, uh, Republicans, it doesn't matter, rhinos, no matter how many of them say that, hey, I told Trump that these numbers were false. I told Trump that there was no election fraud. I told Trump that this wasn't worth investigating. You're not going to find a single quote from Donald Trump where behind the scenes or in public, he said, you know what? I don't actually think the election was stolen. I just am a sore loser, and I want to overturn the election to maintain power. You're never going to find that quote, because no matter how, <laughs> no matter how hard they try, you're never going to prove that Donald Trump didn't truly believe the election was stolen, because he 100% wholeheartedly did, just as I do, and just as you do, because of the evidence that we know that we saw. Right? I was just arguing with a guy earlier who was trying to convince me that there's no substantial evidence of election fraud. And I, I was just pulling example after example. Which which election do you want to talk about? Arizona, Maricopa County, where 60% of the machines broke down. Uh, Harris County, where they ran out of paper ballots 
in like 50% of voting precincts and caused massive disenfranchisement, which is still being litigated. And even Governor Abbott has come out and, uh, uh, you know, claimed that, that there may have been fraud that changed the outcome of the election. Or do you want to talk about the 2020 election where, you know, despite the fact that the Arizona audit concluded that, you know, there was uh, the, the recount concluded similar results to the official results. Yeah. What about the part where the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors are under oath speaking to Andy Biggs and admitting to deleting thousands upon thousands of files that were under subpoena with the Arizona Senate? Right. Uh, or do you, do you want to talk about Brad Raffensperger and this uh, supposed hand count after the election where voter GA discovered a 60 percent error rate that, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of the ballot images were lacking Shaw files indicating that they had been altered. Do you want to talk about um, the Detroit ballot dump? Do you want to talk? I mean, there's so much evidence that there was fraud in the 2020 election. That, you know, although some of the claims, sure, certainly, some of the claims that we came out with in the beginning, some of the stuff that we heard, um, some of it, there was no merit to it. Some of it was just literal conspiracy theory. But that doesn't change the fact that the election was stolen. Let's just talk about the freaking 400 million Zuckerbucks that were injected into the election after... They completely altered the way that elections are conducted with mass scale mail-in ballots, drop boxes, and Mark Zuckerberg injected $400 million uh, into the swing states, particularly in the heavily populated, dense blue strongholds, where he gave this money with strings attached to put those drop boxes in strategic locations and uh, funded a massive get-out-the-vote effort that benefited Joe Biden. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. The The assertion that Donald Trump uh, knew that he lost but continued to perpetuate the fact that he won is so ludicrous, and there's no way that they can prove it. And as uh, Just the News reports at the end here, a defense for Donald Trump is that the claims weren't entirely baseless. While it appears unlikely that Trump or his legal team will attempt to argue that the election was swayed by election fraud... where. That's kind of a dumb thing to say. Where are you getting that from? Of course they're going to try to prove that. Uh, But still, he says they may be able to point to subsequent cases involving the election as evidence that some of the fraud or election vulnerabilities they addressed did exist. In asserting that Trump knew his claims of outcome-determinative fraud were false, Smith cites examples of Trump allies and officials telling him that such fraud did not exist. Uh, One example from the Justice Department citing the CISA... Uh, Chris Krebs, right, who said that it was the most secure election in American history. Uh, But days later, after the assistant director, blah, 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 blah. Oh, Uh, however, in November 2021, the Justice Department brought charges against two Iranians, Syed Mohammed and Hossein Musa Kazimi and Sajad. uh, I don't know how to say these damn names. Iranians. you, You expect me to pronounce Iranians last names? Kashian alleging they successfully hacked into a state computer election system, stole voter data, and used it to intimidate Republican lawmakers. The charges materialized roughly one year after the election, and it remains unclear whether Trump knew of that instance at the time. But that's barely even beginning to scratch the surface uh, regarding the fact that the claims were not entirely baseless. There's so much evidence of election fraud that Donald Trump can uh, assert in, in a courtroom but my question is whether or not, so, so how is this going to go down, right? To the people that say, you know, that the white hats are in control and this is all part of the plan and that this presents the avenue for Trump to present evidence legally, how, how is this going to go down? Because the DOJ, they're going to be able to cite every single elected official, every single authority, DHS department officials, uh, the the... the director of national intelligence, Trump's own attorney general, uh, Trump's own inner circle, uh, you know, various secretaries of state, independent auditors, pro V and V SLI compliance. Uh, they're going to be able to cite so many different uh, examples of people saying 
that Trump's claims were false. And uh, what's Trump's source going to be for the notion that the the assertions were true? Uh, People that have already been deemed conspiracy theorists, uh, partisan, slandered. I, I mean... Who's who's left for Donald Trump to cite as a credible expert to debunk the notions from Brad Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling? So I think best case scenario, Trump can make the potential argument that he was making these assertions in good faith, believing wholeheartedly that the claims were true and is protected by the First Amendment. Um, Even if he did submit droves and droves of evidence of fraud legally in a courtroom, I want to. I want you guys to manage your expectations and understand the fact that uh, the institutions in this country have already decided for the past damn near three years that despite the overwhelming vast amounts of evidence that they're not going to do anything about it. Um, but you know, I get called a doomer for saying stuff like that. I'm just. I just want you to manage your expectations. I don't know what people are expecting to come of this, other than uh, hopefully Trump exonerating himself. And, uh, you know, anyways, so I've been droning on for quite a while now. We have 400 people watching 62 likes. Please be sure to click that like button. And uh, of course, check out our sponsor, uh, mypillow.com enter promo code, Nick, save a ton of money on the best sleep products on the market and support great patriots like Mike Lindell and yours truly. That's promo code, Nick, N I C K. It's short, concise, and sweet. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning in. As always, thanks for watching, and I will see you next time.